This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Happy New Year out there to everyone listening, both foster families and prospective foster families. It is 2022. I'm going to have to get used to that. It's time to get back into our routines. And here at Utah Foster Care, we are getting back into the routine of finding more foster families because, as we know, there's an ongoing need. And today we're talking about what kinds of foster parents are needed in Utah. I'm Deborah Lindner, and I'm joined by my co-host, Liz Rivera, Director of Education for Utah Foster Care. Liz, we've always heard that families who will take sibling groups and older kids are the most likely to get placements. Is that how it still stands today? It does. And then we also know, regardless of the type of placements that families may feel most comfortable taking, flexibility is also key. Certain thing about foster care is it's uncertainty and we never know where a case may go. And so a family who's able to be flexible according to the needs of the children in their care is always a need as well. And one thing that's been a big change for the Division of Child and Family Services, DCFS, is the Family First Act. And it's it's changed a lot about how they deliver services. It's allowed federal monies to be diverted to more prevention type services. So with the goal of hoping to see less children actually even come into foster care. As we have said for years and years, foster care is no place for kids. And so if children can be successfully and safely cared for without coming into care, that that's a wonderful thing. And today we have two of our own from Utah Foster Care who are at the grassroots level in recruiting foster families for the children of Utah. Yay. I love when we do a colleague podcast. It's just fun to kind of hang out and talk about our mutual work and what we're committed to. So first we have Dan Webster. Dan Webster actually joined us as an intern many years ago. It doesn't seem that long ago, but I guess it was about 15 years ago. And he is currently the director of foster family recruitment for Utah Foster Care. So he's, he's worked as a, a consultant, as a, what they call an area lead. And now he oversees our efforts on statewide. And then also have Anna Gibson and some of you out there, especially those of you in Northern region may remember her the many years she worked for DCFS. And uh, we were lucky enough to lure her over to Utah Foster Care a few years ago. And so so she's with us and she works as a consultant, a foster adoptive parent consultant in the Northern region. So that's pretty much Davis County and North. So we're so grateful to have both of you joining us here today. Thank you, Liz. Great to be here. It is good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So what are you guys hearing on the ground from DCFS and how do you transmit that to prospective families who call you? Dan, why don't you start with a statewide outlook? Thank you, Deborah. So from a statewide perspective, it's pretty universal what we're hearing from each region of DCFS throughout the state that just as you and, and Liz discussed in the intro, the great need we have to keep siblings together. What we have found, and again, this is across the state, it is far more common for us to see sibling groups of three or more than, uh, than usually just a single child. And so that is, a, that is an ongoing and, uh, and urgent need, as you might imagine. Teens also, there's a significant need to care for older children. 
as not everybody may be equipped or mentally prepared to, to take on the challenges and the great things about caring for older children. Those are really the biggest needs, again, across the state. Each region tends to ebb and flow, but those are pretty much universal demographics we notice about kids coming into care. What do you see in Northern Utah specifically? Is that pretty much the story that that Dan has told? Yes, we have a unique opportunity in our area where we collaborate with the Division of Child and Family Services on a weekly basis and talk about placement needs. And I would have to say that seven out of 10 kids coming into care are coming into care with siblings. That's the reality. And our most common size sibling group is a sibling group of three. Sometimes more, we've had sibling groups as many as a sibling group the size of 11. And that makes for some very difficult decisions and challenges in, in keeping children connected and together. So with that great need, what are the barriers? I'm assuming just size is of the home is one of the barriers. What keeps folks from signing up and being able to take larger sibling groups? I think you've probably hit it right on the head, Liz, the size of the home. You have to work within the walls that you you live within. And there are guidelines when it comes to the space that you need to have in your bedrooms, as well as the bedrooms available for when you're caring for children in foster care. In addition to that, people have to consider the size of their vehicles. You know, you may have bedroom space for four children, but you only have two extra seatbelts in your car. And unless you as a family are able to take two vehicles when you'd like to do a family adventure together, then that is something that is taken into consideration as well. Do you think that a lot of families who do take siblings come in from the beginning wanting to take siblings and prepare to take siblings? Or do you think it's something that families kind of grow into? Maybe they move into a larger home, they buy a larger vehicle because they want to take siblings. I think that after going through the training and becoming really more aware of what the reality of the needs are for children in foster care is when they make those adjustments. Perhaps they decide to put two of their existing children, perhaps their biological, perhaps their family members into the same room so that they have an extra bedroom. I have seen them purchase larger vehicles and larger homes depending upon their abilities. Right now, Utah's in a little bit of a, of a housing situation right now where so many people are priced out of increasing their, the square footage available to them. And we have noticed a big difference of that of, of families that we are talking to that would truly like to help a sibling group, but they're in a beginning home. But when they look at the reality of purchasing a home today, the money that would have purchased them a home of, of a larger size five years ago is not what they can do today. Those are things you just don't think about. And also the size of a car. I mean, we've had some families purchase 15 seat passenger vans. What do you hear and what does your team tell you you hear are the frequently asked questions when people first call and they want to become foster parents? Great question. I would say the biggest questions we get, especially if prospective foster parents have children in their home already, they want to know how will bringing in more children impact our own children? How will that go for our kids? Will we be able to set parameters as to how many children or what kind of needs that we feel most equipped to take on? 
those are the kind of conversations people are most anxious to have with our staff, because that's really at the end of the day, when you think about integrating anyone into your life and into your family, you want to make sure it's a good fit. You want to make sure that in wanting to be in a helping position that everybody's going to be benefited from it. So how do you have that conversation? How do you make sure that your needs as a family are met while you're still trying to meet the needs of a child in your home? These are some of the top questions people have. And we have offices all over the state, no matter where you are, there are kids who need foster families. So Dan, what is, what's the basic difference in needs from rural versus urban? Any difference really? Uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting situation. So when you're looking, when the Division of Child and Family Services typically is trying to make placements, they want to place children into homes that are, are, are similar uh, in all the very best ways to their, their homes of origin or the homes they're coming from as the home that they be placed into. So say this child is from Price, Utah, they want to keep that child if they're going to school and it's a good fit to keep them going to that school. Otherwise, if that's not possible, they're looking to move them to somewhere in that part of the state, which could be as far away as Vernal or Provo. And though there may be some great options in those in those cities, they lose whatever connections they have there in price. They lose those relationships. And maybe it's a teacher at school or some friends or, or people in the neighborhood that they've really connected with. And so just keeping children in their, uh, their same areas breeds a lot greater success, and a lot less trauma if they're being moved much further away from everything and everyone they know. Compared to, uh, to maybe a situation, uh, for example, maybe in the Salt Lake Valley area, the child's removed in Murray, but they found a good placement in Midvale. That's a much closer fit. And, and so maybe transporting to and from school, just the next town over shouldn't be too big of a deal. But that's that I would say is, is one of the biggest challenges when it comes to finding homes and, and making good matches rural versus urban. You and I talked about this a little bit before, but that nuanced conversation when families call and, and maybe they're interested in adoption or they're interested in only, you know, reunification cases and, and, and having that conversation with them that when, when you do foster care and you bring these kids into your home, we really have no idea what's going to happen and how to convince them and encourage them to just get on the ride and, and go for it and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, I think you said it very well there at the beginning, Liz, the thing that's very certain in foster care is the uncertainty. We're bringing foster families are bringing children into their homes where where we may know uh, quite a bit about some of these kids or may not know very much at all. So that that's one aspect of it. And then within, you know, just the the first day or two of having the children in your home, you as a as a team, a child and family team are meeting together hopefully to outline some goals and plans and, and hopefully get everybody on the same page. Everyone can be on the same page in that moment and it can change the moment everyone walks out the door, especially for our, our families who are very interested in adopting through foster care, which is possible. You know, last year, I think almost 500 children were adopted from foster care in Utah. And so, so there's absolutely a need. But that doesn't account for the, the many, many more children in foster care who are returned to their biological family. So for a family to sit with that uncertainty, to not be sure, you know, you know we're going to love this kid with everything we've got, hope and, and do everything we can to get this child to go back home. But if that's not possible, yeah, we can, we can be their plan B. We can, we can be their, their forever family if, if they can't go back to their original family. And sometimes you don't know that within a, maybe a few days or weeks notice. And 
So it, it's a, it, it is a real challenge to sit with that uncertainty and to, and to know that, you know, we've got to be flexible through the process and, and, uh, and the role that relatives play in all this. In our industry, we call it kinship care, where child and foster care, rather than be placed with someone they don't know, be placed with someone they know and are related to. What a great connection that can be for, for so many of our kids. And, and so the, the kinship connection plays or adds in an additional layer to the complexity of placements and, and the uncertainty of how long a child may or may not be in your home. And Anna has firsthand experience with that, don't you, Anna? I do. Prior to coming over to Utah Foster Care, I actually worked as what's known as a kinship specialist in Northern Region in working with family members or close family friends that have a, a strong relationship with the children when they come into care to, to seek to place those children in their homes rather than in a, a stranger home or a generally licensed foster home allowing them to maintain those relationships that are so important to them when they're not safely able to be with their parents. Every, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, sometimes older siblings come forward in an opportunity to have their relatives stay with them while the parents work to get to a place of safety and stability and have their children returned to them. And it just makes such a difference when there is a connection that existed before the child had to come into care. You know, forever we've talked to foster families about the idea of reunification. And now we're talking about the idea also transitioning to kin, because we know sometimes kin isn't, for whatever reason, immediately available upon removal. And sometimes kids have to come into kind of general foster care and then transition to kin. And so that's another thing we're asking our general licensed foster families to be willing to do as well. When I talk to families at the beginning, as I, as I make them aware of the idea that a child is best served in a, in a home of someone that they already know, I talk to them that they may have a shorter term placement of, of a week, maybe two or three weeks. It's not uncommon as people become empty nesters, for lack of a better term, that, you know, the grandparent changes that spare bedroom into a craft room. And that may take a little bit of time to recreate that bedroom for a child and and really honoring the space that that child is going to need in their home. And so letting them know that, you know, family is going to come first and it is not an attempt to dishonor you as a family that wants to serve and help a child in care. It is honoring that child's relationship with the person they already know and, and really accepting and encouraging them to be connected you know, we talk about needing foster families. I think a lot of people, I don't know exactly what they're thinking. I shouldn't assume I know, but I think sometimes people are thinking about longer term placements and potentially adoption, but that, that couple of days or that couple of weeks, that transition between removal and placement with kin, that's a need. And for a child to be in a loving, safe family during that time, that's, that's a real, that's a real service a family is doing, even if it's not long-term. It is, and, and the Division of Child and Family Services worked very hard to be transparent when children are placed in the homes of foster parents that are generally licensed, so that if they know that they are still exploring a grandparent, if letters have been sent out but they haven't heard back from everyone yet, they work very hard to, to share that information so that, as we've mentioned during this podcast, people can stay on the same page. If not on the same page, at least in the same chapter that you know what's going on in being aware and able to handle the things that come about 
flexibility is very important, but you can only be flexible for what you know might be a possibility. And so sharing those possibilities with them so that they can prepare as much as they can. Those short-term placements or longer-term placements are just as valuable as the ones that have them during the entire time that they are in care, working towards returning home to their parents. And the average stay of a child in foster care is about 15 months. That's quite a commitment in creating that environment. And so having that flexibility is very important. One thing we hear, and I'm sure you hear as well from licensed foster parents out there is what if they are licensed, they've gone through the training and everything, and they still don't have a placement. What advice do you have for them to get this kind of information that Anna's talking about to kind of know where they stand? Yeah, this is this is one area that I, I think is absolutely fascinating. The, the idea of connecting children into homes and then finding foster families that can best meet the needs of, of those children. Every foster family in the state of Utah is assigned a resource family consultant or an RFC for short. And that RFC is really that DCFS worker who, who will probably know the foster family the best, who is going to have and develop a relationship very early on from their time being a foster parent and throughout their time to be able to know them, know their family, the personality of their kids, what their likes, dislikes are. So that when children come into care, it's not just a, a simple matching one-to-one, all right, this home has two openings. We have these two kids, let's place them. It's, you know, this family really likes playing board games together, or they really specialize in this type of care of, of children. And then there's this child who has these specific needs, and they also like to play board games, for example. Maybe that's, that's going to be a really good fit for them. And so I would say if, uh, if families find that they're sitting empty or maybe not being utilized how they would like, having those open, honest conversations with the resource family consultant is crucial. It's the way that both the foster family and the RFC can, can be on the same page about, uh, about your placement parameters and, and where you'd hope to be able to help the most. So again, those conversations ought to happen very, very early on in you being a foster parent and at least every, I don't know, every month to six weeks. But I'd love to hear what uh, what Anna has to say. I, I guess uh, you did this for a while too, Anna, didn't you? I did. So I, I did work for the Division of Child and Family Services for just about 21 years. And I had the opportunity to be a resource family consultant or RFC And there are a lot of things taken into consideration when considering the options for children that come into care. It's not so much about finding the child that can fit in that particular home or family, finding the home or family that can meet the needs of that child that is coming into care. And you might think that they should be equal to each other, but they're not. And so that's the perspective that the Division of Child and Family Services approaches placements in is what is best for this particular child? And there are times and situations and circumstances where DCFS may approach a family that has established their placement parameters for lack of a better term of this many children, this age or between this age range that might be something outside of what they have established as their parameters because the division feels like that family is the best family to meet the needs of this particular children. And so my comment is always keep an open mind. We are looking to place children in homes to meet their needs. 
And Utah Foster Care then steps in and steps alongside of the foster families to give them the tools and skills and abilities that they need to meet the needs of the children once they're in their home. That happens with not only the service that foster families receive when they are getting ready to become a licensed foster family with what we call as our pre-service training. We also have in-service training once they're licensed that will tackle topics in more detail and really provide tools as that family moves forward in meeting the needs of children in their home. And I might mention if you're a newly licensed foster family and you're waiting for a placement and don't have one, start going to those in-service trainings and connect with our foster families on our Facebook pages, the private Facebook pages. And the more you hear, the more you become familiar, the the easier it is for you to understand the whole placement process and maybe even expand your parameters. We all have stories that we could tell about families who did take children that were sometimes a little bit and sometimes a lot out of their parameters and just amazing stories about what that, what that meant for, for that child in the family. So it's, I, I love those stories. Any final thoughts from Anna or Dan about what you would tell either waiting families or families that are thinking of becoming foster families? I've gone through great lengths to make sure that we have a lot of good information and a lot of helpful information on our website. Uh, you'll also notice, uh, those of you on social media, uh, that our, our social media presence, uh, especially on Instagram, has really been stepped up these last uh, this last year or so. Our team in charge of our Instagram account is just awesome. Our process for recruiting foster families has changed tremendously since the first days I started back in, in 2008. Our bread and butter of recruiting foster families used to be that we would cut and sort hundreds of flyers, hundreds and hundreds of flyers. We'd burn through so many reams of paper uh, just to print off flyers talking about a, an upcoming presentation we've had. And we'd take it over to the local elementary schools and and uh, and just hope that they distributed them. And that worked really well until it didn't. And around that time, social media really started to pick up. And so we've, that's really become, uh, become our bread and butter uh, relating to finding more families. So, so check out certainly our website, utahfostercare.org, going over to our Instagram account, all of our social media platforms, Facebook and, and Twitter as well. Really great content on there. And periodically, we'll provide opportunities for families to hear from other foster families, learn what it takes to be a foster parent. What's it like the day in, day out stuff? What is it like to care for a teen? We're doing one of those coming up January 20th. So having that kind of education and, and experience learning from people who have been there really provides uh, the kind of depth and understanding that, you know, that, that you're just not going to get anywhere else. Uh, hearing from another person who's lived that experience will definitely help your decision-making process. That's what I would encourage. What are your thoughts, Anna? I would say that exact thing. Visit us um, online at utahfostercare.org. Submit and review the information we have there. But in addition to that, submit an inquiry. Give us an opportunity to give you some more in-depth information. We have foster adoptive consultants that are so knowledgeable across the state in each individual area that can really provide you with the information of whether or not it is urban or rural and what the more direct needs are for your community. They'll have that conversation with you. And this is another thing that's changed. Those conversations 
can happen in your home or they can happen virtually online. We are so happy to meet with you. They take about an hour or so where we really have the opportunity to get to know you as a family that's interested in becoming a foster family or a resource family, but also share with you the direct needs of your community. And it is a way to help and a way to open your home to children in need. And our foster parent training, both pre-service and in-service, is also online. The pandemic has brought about even more online services, which I think most people find convenient. We are holding a few trainings in person around the state. So whatever your choice, you have a chance to get more information and it's never been easier. I would like to thank both of our guests, Dan Webster and Anna Gibson, who are that grassroots team on the ground. They're just one of many foster adoptive consultants who live right in your communities and who are there waiting to meet and talk with you every day. We have that great team of people that can be reached at our statewide number, 877-505-5437. Or as Anna said, just go to utahfostercare.org, fill out a form, and we're glad to have a talk with you. There's, There's no obligation, by the way. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback on this podcast. I want to thank my co-host, Liz Rivera, our producer, Marshall Shearer Davis, and of course, all of you listening out there. So long, everybody. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.